Blockchain and cryptocurrency, we all hear about them and everyone has their own thoughts and opinions. What is certain is that we all want to learn more. At a recent Ivy Ideas Night, we were joined by legendary eight-time Olympic medalist Apollo Ono, who has dedicated himself to simplifying the adoption and onboarding into the cryptocurrency world. With 15 years of experience working with the world's largest companies, brands, notable CEOs, governments, and influencers over the course of his career, this is a side of Apollo that few have had the opportunity to see. Ono was in conversation with Bitcoin and blockchain pioneer, the co-founder and former CEO of Tether, Reeve Collins. Collins is creating an entirely new economy around digital goods as the co-founder and CEO of BlockFi. Together, the two took a deep dive into the complex world that is blockchain and crypto and provided insights that you can only hear here on the Ivy Podcast. I think first off, we want to say how kind of humbled we are and how grateful you are that there's so much interest always in the blockchain and crypto asset sector. It obviously wasn't always like this. I think if you rewind even just two years ago, um, these rooms were much more sparse and very infrequent. So I think kind of the format that I'd like to see us kind of go through is a little bit of an introduction. And, you know, Reeve won't talk about himself that much, but um, he is one of the pioneers in this space, uh, someone who did co-found and was behind the idea of Tether, which is a one-to-one backed uh, US dollar token, essentially, or so we believe it is. Uh, that's a different conversation. <clears throat> we can talk about that later. I always poke jabs when I can. But I, I, I'll let Reeve kind of start and introduce himself, and, and then I think I'll go next, and then we can talk a little bit more about the state of affairs of crypto asset economy right now and why the blockchain sector is so interesting, why we should care, uh, or should we care, and does it impact your life? And if it does or doesn't, how will it, and how can we play a role? So I think let's start with hearing uh, Reeve a little bit. Thank you, and I'm really happy to be here, so thank you guys all for coming out, and uh, I hope we can enlighten you a little bit about what blockchain technology is, but more importantly, how it impacts you and how it's going to impact all of our futures, because it is one of the most relevant things to ever take place since the advent of the internet. And a little bit about my background, I was fortunate enough to graduate college in the beginning of 97, right when kind of the internet was taking off. And my first job was at an internet advertising agency, the very first one ever, called Avenue A. I was the seventh employee, and within two years, we went from seven people to almost 1,000 and worth $6.6 .6 billion and public. So it was this meteoric rise in this advent of a new technology, the internet, which simply connected the world and enabled you to move information globally instantly and for free. It's my first job out of college. I got to experience all that and see how big of an impact it had. I founded a number of other businesses in the space after that. And then I got introduced to Bitcoin, to the blockchain technology in 2013 by Brock Pierce. I had sold some media companies and when the hype was just beginning, Bitcoin was only around $100 at the tail end of 2013. And we realized it was a very volatile asset. And we thought that now you can move value or currencies globally instantly and for free. Doesn't it make sense to move dollars, fiat currencies, dollars, euros, yen? So back then, the technology was still nascent. And we added a layer that enabled you to tokenize a new asset. So we tokenized the dollar and enable you to move it just like a Bitcoin. So now you could use this new infrastructure to move money, not the traditional financial infrastructure that was runs on T plus three and takes a little bit of time and costs quite a bit of money to, to move money globally. 
And the advent of Tether, this dollar-backed crypto, enabled the industry to turn into what it is today. Tether is actually the second most utilized cryptocurrency in the world, right behind Bitcoin. It peaks at around $3 billion of transaction volume a day. The reason being is before you use Tether, these exchanges weren't able to trade in and out of a stable coin. They would trade from Bitcoin to Ethereum or to the various other cryptos. But that wasn't good enough for a lot of the traders that needed to hedge their bets. So we facilitated that industry by creating a dollar-backed crypto. And you saw the explosion of exchanges happen. Now we have thousands of exchanges out there because they have this base pair of a dollar to trade with. So I don't know. Some people, there's a lot of rumors or thoughts around Tether. But sometimes they don't realize how large of an impact that had on the industry. That I sold in 2015. And from there, it evolved into Block V. And so Tether being this base pair, one of the first things you could tokenize on the blockchain, we learned quite a lot of lessons about what the blockchain really is, what the use cases are, and how to expand on those. And so the next company, Block V, is the layer above. So it's another type of token, but it's a smart digital token. It's a programmable token. Some of you may have heard of smart contracts, which without getting into too much detail, it's essentially you put a bunch of tokens inside, something happens, and different ones come out. Block V takes that another level and allows you to program the token itself, which makes it easier for developers to build applications on the blockchain and increases the use cases of what you can use with tokens and blockchains. And I'll dive into it a little deeper in a little while on some real use cases and how this will impact your future. And over to Apollo. <laughs> I'll make mine short. I, my previous career was I was an Olympic athlete, a winter Olympic athlete for many, many years, 15 years to be exact. Retired in 2010, immediately wanted to become a serial entrepreneur, was involved in tech, infrastructure, real estate, biotech, digital advertisement. I invested into Reeves companies. We're both from Seattle. And the reason why I got involved into blockchain and crypto was really because of Reeve and another one of our mutual friends. And I saw, I think I was that guy who was an investor who was very speculative. So I was super high risk. I was the one who basically bought like almost a million bucks worth of Iraqi dinar. I don't know if anyone in here knows what that is, but that was the Iraqi money when this whole like, basically a friend of mine in the military told me to buy it. And I was like, that sounds like a great idea. It's going to go through the roof. Not a good idea. I don't know what it's worth now, but I'm pretty sure I could have a great bonfire burning man. Um, it's probably much more valuable. But anyway, so I, I was in that kind of mindset, right? I was very speculative. I was investing in all different types of technologies and businesses and real estate. And I saw Reeve kind of almost like pack up and all these ideas and, and businesses that he had. And, he's, and, he kind of, and I said, like, what are you doing now? And he says, I'm going all in on the blockchain and fintech space. That's what he was talking about back then. I was like, what are you talking about, man? Like, you need to get involved in my rare earth processing plant that we're building in the Philippines and we're mining from China. Like, this is where it's at. This is where iPhones are made. He's like, no, no, you don't get it. Um, and I actually, I didn't understand what the value of Bitcoin was, what the value of the blockchain was. It took me a long time. But when I started to see very smart individuals and intellectuals leaving their specific places in business and saying, this is the future of where we're gonna transfer value in our transactions in this entire economy and digital asset decentralization world is going to be moving towards, um, that was really interesting to me. I, had, I was always a believer that the financial markets were completely gamed against us, unless you were in New York, London, Tokyo, and you were in Chicago as a high-frequency trading firm. I thought that the odds were always heavily stacked against you. I think we saw how much of an impact in 2008 when the financial crisis happened, 
And then this beautiful white paper came up out of nowhere anonymously, which was given to us around this idea behind Bitcoin and the peer-to-peer -peer transaction network. But it was because of Reeve that I got involved. And then I started to slowly participate in purchasing and acquiring and building my own little stash of kind of crypto assets. And then from there, decided that I wanted to do more than just be a passive investor. I wanted to build something in the space and help achieve and hopefully overcome some of the challenges that I faced early on. So some of the things that I first thought that were difficult for me was how do I acquire my first Bitcoins or my first crypto assets? Uh, it was very difficult and trying to understand everything revolving around private keys, digital asset, custody, who holds what, who's responsible, can I talk to the guy who owns Bitcoin as a company? Like all these kind of questions I had that you traditionally would have for a, a, a traditional market-based business, um, they weren't I couldn't get those answers. And so there was like a lack of education, a lack of resources, and also a lack of places where I actually go and participate in this entire digital economy. And that, that's what kind of drove me to decide, well, gosh, I spend so much time in Asia, the population density there, the digital economy is already so existent in these regions of the world. People are hungry and their actual ability to uh, have, call it a gambler's mentality, but really they were very hungry to participate in something like this that we as Americans were kind of shielded and maybe overly protective of, whether it's for our own regulated to, uh, regulate regulations or whatever type of restrictions we had. In Asia, they, they didn't have those. And that's what began this kind of journey along not only participating in, in all of Reeves' endeavors and his companies, but also into many others. And so I think the single most fundamental thing that I find the most exciting about blockchain technology is the fact that, you know, in its the thesis and ethos is the fact that it's permissionless, the fact that it's immutable, the fact that it's completely transparent, and you got the, all of these efficiencies and the fact that it's secure, right? So I think, and, and I don't know how much information or background everyone in the audience has about blockchain. I think we can talk about that at the basic level and why it's so important and why it's so, and it needs to be integrated in many different assets uh, across many different avenues in business. But maybe we can just start, Reeve, with what is blockchain, right, in your words? Yeah, because we don't, I just want to make sure there's just a quick level check. How many people own cryptos in some way, shape, or form? So a good portion of the audience. So we'll gloss over, because I'll give you a little primer on Bitcoin for those who don't know it in, in real fast and simple terms. It's really two things. You have Bitcoin, which is a new type of currency, which we all know. It's actually fundamentally better than fiat currency in its utility, meaning Bitcoin, you can't be counterfeit, right? It's a fixed supply. You can move it globally, instantly, and for free, for the most part. That's a generalization. Um, and ultimately, the transactions, you, you own these tokens yourself. There is no third party that oversees it. So that is essentially what a Bitcoin is. It's a new type of currency, not backed by a government, but its monetary policy is set in code. The other piece to this invention, to this new revolution in the way the world transacts, is the underlying technology, blockchain technology. Blockchain is this strange word, but the generic term for it really is distributed ledger technology. And what that really means is that you can now transact without oversight. It doesn't require a bank, a third party, a government, or anyone to tell you that you can move this new currency, Bitcoin, or this new token from one person to the other. Also, it much more efficiently connects the entire world to a financial infrastructure. Because right now, we are the privileged few. We live in the United States. We have access to excellent financial systems. But over half the world doesn't. And they're, they're in need of an upgrade. And this technology is enable, enables us to connect the rest of the world over the internet in a secure way 
to move value. And so that's kind of a high level of what Bitcoin and blockchain is. And what I really want to talk about, though, is how does that impact you and, and why does it matter? The simple analogy is obviously the impact that email had. Think about how much more efficient that made it to send a letter. And so that's how the impact of blockchain technology will have to send value. But what is value? So right now you've heard of Bitcoin and all of these other cryptocurrencies. What does that really mean? Well, Bitcoin is a new store of value, a new type of currency. But a lot of these other things power the ability for companies to do business in a manner they never did before. So for instance, remittances is a very basic thing. That's the movement of money globally and instantly and for free on the blockchain. However, what's more important is connecting the rest of the world, the unbanked, to this system. And now you have innovative companies through the Ethereum with smart contracts that can program this. And what the, what's the biggest application of a smart contract is the ICOs. And you'll notice that Bitcoin was around a couple hundred dollars to a thousand until really the advent of the ICO came and we saw it take over the world and the price went to 20,000 and it's because it transformed an entire new industry. It transformed venture capital and enabled the rest of the world to participate. It enabled you to be much more liquid in your investments at a much earlier time. And two things really came of that. Companies raise more money than they ever have in history at an earlier time in their, in their, um, since they've been organized. The challenge with that is a lot of companies that don't deserve to raise that money do get a lot of money. Hmm. And so if they're not good stewards, that's all these scams and the different things that you hear about. But you do have to take the good with the bad. The efficiency that the world's connected to these financial markets makes the ability for everyone to participate. Think about the internet. You hear that everybody made all of this money in the dot-com boom. It's not true. Everybody didn't make money. Again, the people that live in advanced societies with advanced companies that worked for a company that had stock options that was lucky enough to go public, they made a lot of money. But that's actually a very small percentage of the population. The reason why there's so much hype, so much excitement, so much enthusiasm around cryptocurrencies is because it's connected the entire world. Anyone with an, inter an internet connection can now participate in these investments. Some will be amazing, some will be terrible. But the, also the difference is, since they're liquid, a lot of it is gambling, and a lot of it has nothing to do with the function, the features, or the success of the company. It has to do with hype. And that's why you see all these people making money on companies that have never released a product. Um, so essentially, it's, it's, it's a, an entire new day for investors slash gamblers. And we're getting to a point with regulation, with self-regulation with the industry, that soon it won't be as much gambling. It will require a lot more um, fundamentals from a company in order to raise a significant amount of money in the space. And an interesting difference is I did an ICO last October. I started in June, went out in October, and we debated if we should even do KYC. You essentially put a wallet out there. We have been building our product forever, so we talked about the product, and we raised um, 72,000 Ether. So at the time, it was like $22 million. But Ether was only $300, and so that's greatly increased. Fast forward only six months, Apollo has been spending you know, the last six months traveling the world, figuring out the global regulatory infrastructure, figuring out if you should do it in Manila or the Philippines, and going through an extraordinary complex to do the same thing I did six months ago. And you can touch on his ICO. He just completed a very successful ICO for a, an Asian-based ex yeah, exchange. Re basically, Hyperbar. Reeves was very easy. Mine was very difficult. Well, put I'm not going to say way. mine was easy at all, but it, um, it was extraordinarily it, painful. It, it, it's a it, it different was, world. It was, it was different. I mean, the ICO market has, on, on, 
I always look at it from, from two, two lenses, right? From one side, it's completely taken away the power of the traditional Silicon Valley top 100. So when you want to go raise money for your startup, uh, if you want traditional VC backing, you got to go to Sand Hill up in Silicon Valley, go knock on doors, provide relationships, and start pitching to the 100 companies there. And usually when 50 of those companies say no, the rest say no as well. And then you're pretty much out of luck and you got to find some friend here locally to give you a couple million bucks for like 40% of your company, right, for a startup. ICOs were different. You now are raising money that were from non-accredited investors, from people all over the world, and all they needed was a cell phone and an interactivity ability to basically say, I want to contribute to your ICO, and you weren't selling equity. So that's all debatable, right? The terms and conditions around how you do your initial coin offering are significantly different than an IPO. Um, there's no third-party audits. Um, there's no proof of product. You've got companies raising multiple hundreds of millions of dollars without any product at all. So with both sides, with this incredible rise of being able to raise money very quickly and swiftly, and somewhat easily, also comes the side that we're going through a cycle phase, and with every new advent of technology, whether it's nascent, whether it's new and disruptive, there's always going to be bad actors, and also just simply the fact that we're just new. This is 1994. Do you want an email address and an internet connection? That's literally the same place that we're in right now. So when you hear companies talking about we're building the next protocol layer level technology that's incredible throughput and it's fast, it's all BS until they actually build it in reality. We don't know. But if that founder or that chairman or that CEO speaks to you in a certain way and you say, you know what, I believe that team, they've got a great track record, maybe I'm not as technical as I need to be, but I want to participate because I believe in that technology and I want to see it come to fruition so that we all can transact easier, faster, and better. That's what really the space and the time that, right, that I think that we're at right now. Yeah. We had a great question asked to us earlier. It was like, how do you deal with the press, half of them say that this is a hype, it's a bubble, and it's all going to explode and crash and burn. And the other half, which we're included in, are absolutely passionate that this technology will change the world. It's like, how do you resolve that? Uh, absolutely different perspectives. And the real answer is that they're both right. Um, this, the price will go up and down. There can be a bubble, like $20,000 was, was fueled by hype, right? So in some definitions, that's a bubble. But what did it do? It, attracted the rest of the world. It got every single one of you involved. The majority of you probably got involved sometime in 2017 when you started hearing about it going up. Um, and what that means is that more smart, more awareness brings more smart people, more entrepreneurs, more developers, and a lot, lot more money. I think it's almost $10 billion has flowed into this ecosystem. And what has all that money flowed in here to do? Deliver on the technology that the naysayers are gonna, is gonna explode and crash and burn. It's not. Now it is well-financed enough and has enough smart people globally to make this work, to deliver on the promise of a new way, a new efficient way, a new really quick, fast, almost free way for the whole world to transact, to engage the rest of the world to an infrastructure where they can globally do business with each other. So I'm very passionate about that fact. And when the naysayers come and say it's all going to crash and burn, it won't. And the last piece on that Again, is regulations. A lot of people talk about regulations. They're like, how much concern do you have over the regulations? It's going to squash it. It's going to kill it, et cetera. It will slow it down. No one will deny that. Some regulation is good. Some regulation is bad. And in general, it creates some friction. But it also improves things that need to be improved. But regulation is very localized, country by country, state by state. The technology is absolutely global. 
you can't put the technology back into the bag because the technology is progress. The technology enables us to be more efficient in the way we do business. Therefore, it can't stop. The best analogy is Uber. Uber's pretty much illegal, right? When they started, like all these operating taxis and cars, et cetera, et cetera. But once it got out there, all these, the taxi cab drivers and the cities tried to stop them. They couldn't because the users demanded it. The world demanded Uber to be there. And it's going to be the same thing with blockchain technology. So the regulation will slow it down, but in some way, shape, or form, it will impact all of our lives. I think the question is you know, whether regulation will stifle the innovative excellence that exists still in our country, right? Silicon Valley and SF, and now Silicon Beach, right, has always been kind of pioneering. And you've got some in New York, but really it's been in the Bay Area that has been fundamentally behind all of these incredible ideas that transform the way that we interact with each other. And as easy as we use Postmates or Uber or Yelp or Expedia or Orbitz or whatever these types of um, uh, businesses are that we, that we have on a day-to-day -day basis, blockchain at some point will come and become completely invisible to all of us, to where we're utilizing these technologies we don't even know. It just happens to be the standard at which very specific businesses have operated under. It makes them more efficient. It makes them more transparent. It makes them more responsible. Um, and all the things that we care about to make sure that just not one centralized form of power, which has been that way for centuries, because human beings are always human beings, and whenever that one person has power, they've got the ability to influence the mechanisms over that power. This is different. You've got, and I always make this, this analogy, right? Instead of having one person who's got the grocery list, right? And on that grocery list, he or she is erasing or writing down what he or she wants. There's no bananas here, but there was yesterday, right? No, they, they erased it off. But imagine every single person here has the same grocery sheet, and we're all checking in real time that every single one of these items is exactly the same as everyone else. Now that makes for a consensus layer that when we all agree, hey, I've got 10 items, you've got 10 items, they were all in this order, they were all at this time frame, and they were all these specific items, that makes for a much more transparent and trustless society so that when we interact with each other, because we're human beings and because there's always bad actors, you don't have to trust the other person you're doing business with. Because unless they meet these criteria of the smart contract, nothing ever happens. So you can imagine like a real estate deal, right, that happens. Um, in the future, you'll be able to close in a real estate transaction in minutes versus in a month, right? You'll be able to transact, like right now, I was having a conversation with Reeve, when you send a wire, sometimes international wires take seven days, up to 14 days, depending on if the bank's holding that. Well, banks have the technology right now to do near instant settlement. They can do that. They just don't want to because they want more money on their balance sheet. Every microsecond of the day, that holds off, that they show their massive balance sheet means that their stock value is significantly more valuable to investors. So whether that changes and in a couple of years they say, well, we've always had this technology, we want to release it to the world, I think the conversation that this really starts is the power of democratization and decentralized power to the people really start and initiate a way in which all of us in the room can take hold of what we want to have, and that is power over our finances and the power over the transaction of value. Yeah. It's an excellent point about banks and about that entire institution. And just think about the financial crash and all of the bankers kind of got off scot-free and still get paid, et cetera. And there's absolutely nothing we can do about it until now, right? This is what the technology is empowering us with. It gives us the power in our hands to do something about it. And an amazing use case is a company that I'm involved in called Good Money. So Gennar Lovelace was the founder of Thrive Market, who a lot of you may know. 
it uh, took on Whole Foods. It said, well, I can probably deliver the same quality of organic goods direct to your door for cheaper than when you even go to the store and buy them. And it turned into a multi-billion dollar company because he also did it with a purpose, especially in marketing to millennials today. They would much rather know the corporation has some sort of purpose-driven reason behind what it does. Mm -hmm. And so Thrive Market was very successful, and he's been an extraordinary at reaching this constituency. So we all know that banks right now aren't really, they are driven with a very profit, uh, profit purpose, a purpose for profit, but nothing else. And also it's not very transparent, and you can see how poorly they have treated all of its consumers. And so this is what not only the blockchain does, but tokenized business models. I'll explain that a little bit. So now, good money is creating a new banking paradigm, right? So it's going after the millennial market who 90% says they don't want to talk to the banker, they'd rather go to a dentist. All they want is a mobile wallet that they can transact with quite easily and efficiently, such as Venmo. But now imagine if Venmo had, an had the similar level of banking services as Wells Fargo. The infrastructure of blockchain enables new entrants to do that, but it also enables these new entrants, such as good money, to say, look, all of your transactions and all that we do with your money is going to be transparent. We will show, first of all, no fee banking because their infrastructure is much less expensive. Secondly, on the reserves and where we put that money, we'll share that with you. And in the past, that was also very difficult to do, but that's what tokens enable you to do. If you have $10,000 on deposit and it earns 5%, through tokens, you can actually reward the users for that. So good money will actually pay you to keep your money on deposit and pay you to utilize its system. And it will also allow you to vote on where 50% of its profits should go. So it's a purpose-driven company that enables all of its consumers to dictate what they do with their money. And then what they do with that money is also transparent. So you don't have to trust anybody. You're like, look, we've made this much money. It gets allocated to us in this percentage, and the other percentage goes to these causes. And it's all auditable for the first time, auditable by everybody. So transparency is the biggest, one of the biggest benefits of this type of technology, transparency and then commitment to delivering that transparency to the end user. So I'm super excited about good money because also it takes what Tether's vision initially was and turbocharges it and delivers it to the world. Because Tether right now has a very singular use case, which is really for traders and people that want to hedge out of the volatility of whether, whatever crypto they're in, and it enables them to easily move money amongst exchanges. But in order for it to be marketed to the end user as let's use this new infrastructure instead of the banking infrastructure for our everyday transactions, it takes a team like Good Money to come to the world and say, we're going to be transparent. We're going to pass all the savings on to you. We're going to let you vote with your money where you want it to go. So it's one of the projects that's coming out very soon that I'm most excited about. Yeah, the Good Money guys are working on some really amazing technology with, with good intent, right? To show yeah. that you can actually be profitable and have great intentions at the same time. I think you're talking about millennials, Reeve, and <clears throat> I just want to give you guys some statistics, right? 97 million Americans right now are in the millennial age group. 47% of the world is actually millennial, primarily in India and in China. Um, all of them feel that their banks don't understand them. All of them feel very, pro uh, very positive in the crypto economy movement. 
uh, and all of them feel very misunderstood in general. And I think that, that goes with every single cycle of kind of new age nascent technology, but this one is perhaps the most powerful and the biggest of all, meaning in the next 10 years, they will be the biggest spenders. They will be the ones who are influences in power. They will be buying new homes. They will be a huge resource for all of the economies across the world. And if they are not trusting fiat economies as they exist and as they are now, we're all gonna have a massive shift towards the crypto economy. Now, whether that happens or not is an entirely different conversation, right? I'm never one to say that, oh, fiat's gonna die and it's all about crypto. I think fiat actually, in my personal opinion, is always gonna be here. And as long as there's large scale A plus governments, they're gonna have their stronghold on these respective regions. But what crypto economies can do is give us all opportunities. So everyone in here maybe has their own personal business, whether you're doing a startup, maybe you've got something on the side you'd love to do. The fact that you can now tokenize that into the economy that we live in and have that token represent some value in your company and then is traded around the world, 365, that's not locked up in a VC model that's illiquid for eight years and then you get out later, but now it's transparent, it's, it's, it's always available to pretty much anyone who believes in your technology, that's very interesting to me. And that's why I actually chose to go into the exchange space was because I understood that much more than I understood protocol layer level technologies, whether EOS is gonna win or ION or ICON or NEO or the Ethereum developers um, or Ethereum Classic and all these different uh, types of protocol forks and the individuals and the developers behind them. I understood and I felt that, they, well, they all need a place to trade, so I might as well be that that place to trade and hopefully provide a better services for everyone else. But th the thing that really gets me the most excited is seeing businesses and opportunity and individuals um, from all age groups. And I've met people who first participated in the very first Ethereum ICO and uh, I think he was 15 years old when he did so. And I, and I was looking at this kid, I was like, number one, how the hell did you even know what you were doing? And number two, like that's absolutely incredible that you are worth 100 times more than me at the age of 17 years old. Like that's remarkable. But that's the economy that we live in. And we're all kind of driven by the same kind of fundamental beliefs, at least that I believe so, right? We all want a better life. We want to be with our loved ones and family. We want more free time to spend doing the things that we really want to love and we do. But this digital economy allows us to do that. It has generated so much wealth, albeit good or bad. Um, it's unforeseen anything in the history of the world. And I think we're just at the, ice, the tip of the iceberg. The fact that institutions haven't fully dipped their toes in yet because of regulation, because they're not comfortable, and because family offices are not here fully participating, although they are behind the scenes, um, makes way to say that it's still very new. Uh, people always tell me like, oh man, I missed the boat. I missed the, the boat on Bitcoin. Well, kind of, right? You're not gonna see it go from 0. .0006 all the way to 19,000, um, but you'll definitely be able to have a piece of this digital economy in some capacity. And if you have an idea or you wanna run with a company that you believe in, the opportunities are here. There's never been a more open community, I think, I've never, I've never seen this in my life, than the blockchain and crypto community, specifically here in Los Angeles, really, is people helping each other. A great group and friends of ours down in Santa Monica, they run a fund called DNA, and they essentially welcome everyone, pretty much, with open arms into just pitching their ideas, no matter how ridiculous it is, whether it's a nurse token or whatever it is, right? Um, they don't care. They just want to stimulate the economy. And I think the fundamental thesis behind that is, the bigger and the stronger and the more of us who believe in this economy, the less 
difficult, uh, the less likely it is for all of us to fail. And I think that we're now at a point where we're so big, I think that that snowball is going to yeah. start to really move. There's a, so much global momentum, excitement, and money behind this that, as I said earlier, this technology, this promise will be delivered. And let me give you an example, like what's going to happen in the future, probably 2019, and, and how this will impact you. Think about what everyone does all the time. We're always surfing the web. You're on your phone. Online advertising. It's really annoying, right? You never really see an ad that you're thankful that you saw. You never really appreciate the interruption that uh, just happened in whatever your browsing experience was, be it mobile or online. But now think about how much money brands spend to reach you. They spend $100 billion a year in digital media. $100 billion to get that annoying message in front of your face. Imagine how poor of a user experience and a return on investment that is for them. And all of that $100 billion goes to middlemen. It goes to the technology, the planning, the buying, and then to the publisher, Facebook, Google, all those websites that you see the ads on. Imagine a world where those guys were cut out, they didn't really get any of the money, and all that money went to you. That's what this technology enables. So now imagine the next time you see an ad, it might be this little cool logo that spins around. And it might say, click here for a Coca-Cola game, a game brought to you by Coke. And so you click on it, and a little fun, entertaining tic-tac-toe thing pops up, and it says, send to four friends, and you get a free Coca-Cola. Or send to 500 friends and win a free backstage pass at the next Coca-Cola concert, right? It will be this little digital experience that's, that's sent to you that's valuable. It either has entertainment value, redemption value, or, or it, enables, it empowers you to be an ambassador. Because Coke would much rather give the $100 billion to you than to the middleman. And so you're going to start seeing all of these digital objects pop up. So you'll have a wallet, and you'll start collecting these goods that will have some value. It could be a coupon. You might not care about that coupon because you don't want a free pair of shoes, but your friend does. So now there's a marketplace to buy, sell, and trade these little digital objects. And these, you, they're all uniquely addressable to you. And what that really means is that the face of online advertising, of brand-to-consumer connection, the whole paradigm will shift. You might have heard of some other companies saying, we're going to make online advertising more efficient or more transparent. But my thesis is the entire thing is broken. And I've spent almost 20 years deep, deep, deep in that space. And it is broken, and it is inefficient. This technology will enable us to make it really exciting again, both for the brands and for you. Because the users now can self-select the brands they want to be a part of and be an ambassador and get paid for it. What I always say is that our children will think we are crazy for the amount of time we spent on social media and Facebook and Instagram and surfing the web and all these things, and we didn't get paid for it. We don't own any of our own data. Yeah. Right? The whole Facebook issue with the privacy laws, and now imagine if Facebook was completely decentralized, and when you signed up for the very first time, you had the option of saying, do you want to own your own data and perhaps rent that data out to potential advertisers? The amount of hours and time that you spend directly correlate to how much money that you make because your data eventually will be the most valuable thing that you have regardless of your business. And every single major tech institution in the world recognizes 
that every single person on the planet, their data is massively valuable because of every single thing, that it, it, how you interact with your life, the things that you do on a day-to-day basis. You don't recognize it and you don't realize it, but your digital identity is worth everything. We normally look to celebrities or maybe sports stars or actors and actresses and say, well, their identity or their image and face and likeness is worth X amount. Well, why? Why should that be so much different? Because they get more views, perhaps, but in reality, we're all a part of the ecosystem, and I think now the conversation has started, and it's been starting for the past several years about how important that data is, and that's why the decentralized movement is so incredibly powerful, and everyone's a part of it. Yeah, it wasn't possible to en- enable the users to monetize it. Even if Facebook started and said, we want to allow the users to all monetize their own data, the technology wasn't there. It's just becoming available. That is another thing the blockchain will deliver. And so there will be new companies and new entrants that enable all of these social networks, enable the users, the constituents, to actually earn all of the money. Back to the tokenized business models. Imagine in Facebook for every like, every photo upload, every friend request, it either cost you a a token or you received one, and then that's your, your currency for that community. And the more you do, the more you earn. That's where the future is going. That's what this technology enables. These concepts and ideas have been around, but we've never had the ability to execute on them. And now we do. That's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.